0: How's it going, everybody? Seems like it's been forever. It's been a crazy, hectic month of July, and unfortunately not in the sense of doing podcasts, but uh, three weeks of kind of putting my mind at work on other things was probably much needed. We've been hard at work on this thing for the last year plus and renewed sense of uh, motivation. So appreciate you guys staying with me. And For tuning in today, I've got an exciting episode. I wanted to get things started back off with uh, a past guest and somebody who I get a lot of requests to have back on. He's a neuroscientist and he teaches at a medical school, the New York Institute of Technology. He's a cell biologist and basically he studies the different cells of the brain and how they interact uh, amongst themselves. and. His brother is actually my jujitsu instructor at Stout Academy in Pittsburgh, PA. And uh, Warren actually put me in contact with his brother, Randy. And we had a really, really awesome conversation uh, what was about a year ago. And uh, we talked about the simulation theory. We talked about sleep and and how the brain functions. And it was a lot of fun. Um, I was reading an article recently, and I saw something about uh, this helmet called the kernel that could supposedly read humans' minds. And I reached out to him right away, and uh, I said, let's get back on the show and talk about this. So we started there. We went down all kinds of interesting rabbit holes and talked about a lot of cool stuff. This is a two-hour episode of all kinds of really interesting things, and I really hope you enjoy it. Give it up for my guest, Randy Stout. But before we enjoy this episode, a quick shout out from what I would say is Randy Stout's favorite coffee company. I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but if you listen to the whole thing, we talk about this uh, towards the end. Uh, He's a huge customer of us, and uh, his coffee of choice is Rumble Time and Gold. So, yeah, make sure you go to drinkaction.com. It's action with a K. It's a sponsor of this podcast and it's the top specialty roast coffee you're going to drink. And if you sign up for a subscription, it does a few things for you. Number one, it ensures that you always have fresh tasting coffee in your cupboard, ready to drink. Number two, it gives you 20% off. And so when you think about what you're spending on, what really is like a mediocre cup of coffee at a Starbucks, uh, you're spending like four or five, six. I know people that spend like $7 a cup. When you buy action, it's less than 50 cents a cup and it's better. I don't know why you wouldn't try it. Um, Go to drinkaction.com, use code word curious and you'll save 15%. But as I said, if you sign up for a subscription, you'll save 20%. You can get other things there as well too. If you don't drink coffee, natural supplements, CBD from hemp, turmeric. It's great for anti inflammation. Product called Active, Fuel, which is an MCT bomb, lots of apparel, and more stuff coming your way. But at the end of the day, you got to try the coffee if you're a coffee drinker. Go to drinkaction.com, code word curious, and enjoy this episode. <laughs> Uh, it's a new feature she's got a beautiful voice too i don't
1: it's interesting we can talk about that too um before we even get started i it's it's uh, there's been a lot of commentary Terry, about how um uh artificial voices are always uh, portrayed as female and uh we can talk about that a little bit too it's a. Uh, it's not really my area of like social commentary, but anyway, That's go ahead. I know we just yeah. started recording. So
0: <laughs> no, Randy, dude, thank you so much for coming on. And on somewhat short notice, uh, you are one of, and I say this about some people, but you really are like one of the most requested guests that people are like, you need to have the neuroscientists back on. And I think we're all fascinated by what you, you know, do is a field of study and your career. Um, but it's, you know, like I was saying before we started this thing, I appreciate that you're willing to come on this podcast. You know, I've had all shapes and sizes of people uh, and lots of different personalities. And so, uh, you know, I know, I'll kind of let you preface this because I don't want to mix what is, you know, medical things that you do in your professional world with what is a podcast. And we're talking about all kinds of things. So um, feel free to preface that. And if you could, you know, just maybe refresh everybody here with your background. Um, so that just, you know, they kind of understand what that is, as we start going into some of this stuff.
1: Yeah, that, that works well, because um, my area and my experience is in cellular neuroscience. So um, I have a PhD in neurobiology. I'm not a clinician or a neurologist. So I, I don't treat patients, I, I do teach at a medical school. But uh, yeah, this is not, any, anything I say isn't going to be medical advice, and it's not really, it's also not, um, you know, part of the same thing that I'm doing when I'm, when I'm teaching in a medical school or I'm doing my research. There's a very different kind of roles that I take on, and, and here I'm, I'm more so to, you know, communicate with, with everyone that's interested in, in, you know, anything we talk about, and it's really great just to chat uh, about, you know, a wide-ranging topic. So wherever it goes, it's not necessarily, uh, it's definitely not medical advice and it's not really, um, even in the same vein as what I'm doing in my, you know, as a, as a, as a real scientist and, uh, and I, I do my, I I run a lab and, uh, it's mostly cellular neuroscience. So we're studying how the, how the cells of the brain work. Um, and I do that at the New York Institute of Technology and we, um, we have campuses, uh, a couple of campuses locations, and it's a fairly big medical school. And we can talk about kind of the the differences and and some of the things that surprised me as, as I've I've gone through that and, and my impressions. You know, teaching medical students, which that's not my background, but um, I I was a scientist and doing experiments, um, and I knew I wanted to be a scientist from the when I was. Uh, uh, you know, this sounds this sounds funny, but it was, since I was Ten or eleven years old, I knew I wanted to go on to become a scientist. So um, I'm doing what I love, and it's really exciting, uh, doing what I wanted to do. And yeah, it's it's I. I it's sometimes o- almost overwhelming because I have so much opportunity to to do exciting things that I I don't know which way to turn. I'm, I'm like you know, but uh, I I guess uh, I guess that's a good place to be. So uh, yeah, I just thought I'd uh, start out and um, yeah. It, you know, teach neuroscience, do neuroscience. I do research and um, yeah, it's, it's excited to talk about anything, even if it's outside of that. Um, so,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know, I mean, to your point, you have all these different things tugging you in different directions. And when you really want to be stimulated, you come on this podcast. I mean, it's an uh, obvious choice. So now yeah. I, I do, it's great. We were saying it's been a year almost. I think it's been a year since we had our last conversation and I didn't think that I was going to let it go that long. I knew I knew halfway through our conversation that time, I'm like, if he doesn't hate me by the time this is over, I'm going to definitely have him back on. Uh, you're just easy to talk to and you're an interesting guy. Uh, but <clears throat> what spurned me, because this year has gone by so fast, and we can certainly dive into that too, but I was I was online, was looking, I think I just turned my computer on and like the home screen, which is a bunch of news articles popped up. And the front news article was, I think, Think it was from the New York Times. Could be wrong on that, but it was a it was a relatively reputable news source, and it talked about a new technology called Kernel, and uh, it's it was a uh, guy scientist Brian Johnson, I believe was his name. Mm. Uh, company had raised like fifty million dollars, and it was a helmet that you could wear. And the bold claim on the top of this headline was that it could read human minds, and. I was like, eh, horse shit, but I'm bored. So I clicked on it and I started to read through it. I'm like, okay, I'm not smart enough to understand this, but I'm, sm- I think I'm intelligent enough to realize that there's some substance here and they're not necessarily just trying to, you know, grab a headline and, and get some clickbait. And you were the first person that I obviously thought of. I sent you an email and was like, we got to get round two. And so thank you for pulling this together. And I know Colonel, and what they're doing there isn't necessarily your field of study, but you understand it way more than me. And you just telling me that it's a real thing and that the technology is actual and it's yeah. not for shit. That's already freaked me out enough because if it exists now in whatever form, I think, I don't about- think you should
1: be too worried. We can talk about that. I mean, the, the claim it can read minds is uh, it's one way of saying what it's doing. Uh uh, you, you can, you can read, high, you know, you, you can kind of get an idea about looking at stick figures uh, on, you know, that somebody's drawn and get an idea of what they're trying to convey. Uh, that's, uh, you you can try to read, um, you know, a five-year-old's writing, but then, and and understand what they're trying to say, right? Uh, and, and this is, there's all different technologies and there's more um, accurate or higher resolution technologies that can they can see with more accuracy. And uh, I don't know exactly what they've developed. They, they haven't even released the product that they're, that they're talking about uh, yet. So I, I can't say this uh, with hundred percent certainty, but it, and it's, and it's very interesting because they are getting able to, the, with, it's actually a combination of artificial intelligence that they use um, to be able to discern the data that comes out of these types of equipment um, it's usually using um, some form of artificial intelligence to be able to recognize patterns in the data that will tell you with a wide range of accuracy what the, um, the person who's wearing or is being you know subject of the technology is their, their state. Their, it, can, it can tell you about their emotional state. Um, you can get to the point where... You can even begin to, if you test them and you and you get that person's data enough, you you can start to recognize thought patterns, and I guess that's getting pretty close to, uh, perhaps reading someone's mind. But uh, yeah, I I just thought that that's a good thing to you know start with that just as a general idea. But
0: no, so I got hooked, but which makes sense. Um, what what worries me though, and and you know, tell me I'm crazy here, but what you just explained makes perfect sense. They exaggerated it out a little bit, kind of took some liberties as to what reading a mind is. But I think about cell phones 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And I was like on my Nokia playing snake in the back of the bus on my way home from like a basketball game. If you would have told me then that I could record this type of a podcast and distribute it out to Millions of people. I've done a couple via my cell phone, right? I would have thought that was crazy. And I know they're completely different types of technology, but the fact that we have technology that can now interface with the brain, even at that very rudimentary level, is this the beginning to something similar, maybe not the same type of time scale, but where it's inevitable that we progress to a place where the possibilities are somewhat endless
1: yeah, so I would I would point you go back to your kind of uh, analogy about the cell phone, and if you think about how that has happened, it's there's a there's a couple of there's there's a a, a variety of different technologies that have advanced, and as they do, they kind of pull each other along. So uh, your cell phone wouldn't have been able to your old cell phone, your Nokia that you were uh, playing Snake on, wouldn't be able to. Um, it wouldn't be able to process the data for a podcast or a video streaming um, data, and and that's we have stronger, better processors, more powerful processors on the phone. On the other hand, you're you're also you wouldn't have been able to stream it because you wouldn't have had the the wireless capacity um, to to do that. And so, um, the same thing is likely to happen uh, with you know uh, the, this type of um, brain wave recording brain activity recording technology um it's going to be i I think there'll be things that are expected and things that are unexpected the the human factor is is unlikely to change in the next 10 years i think um where you're going to be having to have something that is close enough to the head you're wearing it around you look like a an alien, if you have, if you have this thing on, uh, in public and, and, and it's interesting. I, you know, if we, if you're in, like, I, I really had a, I, I was surprised by how things proceeded with the Google glass, uh, I, I wear, uh, the wearable technology. Um, and that was, it was before it's time, the battery technology was, was one of the things they they got hot, um, people, there was also the social factor. It wasn't taken up. Now, well, the reason why I bring Google Glass up is because I thought it was kind of weird when everybody's walking around with their with one of their original iPhones and they're looking at it all day. I was like, what are you doing, man? You're, 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 you're not paying attention to anybody else. Now I do it, you know, too. Um, and it's and it's become, a lot of people, you know, uh, bemoan the idea that everybody's looking at their phones, but it's a, it's a powerful tool and you feel weird if you don't have your phone for like 10 seconds. Um, and it's really changed. I think the, the same thing is likely to happen around this um, technology is trying to uh, reach in and understand what people's brains are doing and what they're thinking about. Um, your eyes are the window to your brain. I mean, they're really a part of your brain. They're an extension of your brain. I don't know if people knew that, but uh, um, they, they're they just a, kind of an extension of your brain out through your, through, through, uh, out through your eye sockets. Um, but uh, they... They're going to be doing things like, uh, I know some some companies, some of the big, big tech companies are not just happy to track where, where you are and what websites you're looking at. They're going to be creating wearable glasses. And it sounds scary and it, it can be, but it's also, it's going to be such a powerful tool to be able to have the information there, but not have to look down at your phone and be able to see it. And that's a form of augmented reality. And that's, it's like a, it's like a VR headset, except you can see through it and and you can project things onto it. the reason why I bring that up is because um, you can start to put these sensors that are part of the things, you know, similar, sometimes different technology as kernel and integrate those into wearable technology. And so whether it's a, a hat, like they made everybody wear the hats in Westworld, that's becoming more and more, it's looking like that something like that's going to become a possibility.
0: Well, what and, even with like Neuralink, right? I mean, is there, yeah. if you start to take your, you know, you, you got me thinking when you said a lot of this is based on artificial intelligence, right? So yeah. if you're just taking data, right? Okay, so Kernel is using what I what I thought I read was like electromagnetic sensors. And, they have a
1: couple of different things. Uh, they're they're reading
0: those them. waves, right? So they're capturing the data. They're looking the at data.
1: functional near, near infrared, where they're actually putting like long wavelength light into your brain and seeing how even on a very like microscopic scale, the blood flow changes when you're using a certain part of your brain. That's how functional MRI works. Um, fung- functional ma- um, magnetic resonance imaging. Um, that it, it works in the same way, but you have to have this giant, extremely powerful magnet to do that. Um, and what it's doing is it's looking at actually the, the uh, increase or the hyperemia uh, of uh, the brain tissue, you're not really looking at the, neural, the the neuronal activity. You're looking at the other cells, their changes in, in that part of the brain, and they change in response to the, to the use of the neurons. The thing that Kernel's doing is, is similar. You don't require that giant magnet uh, in, in their technology, and that's the benefit. Uh, you don't get as high resolution inf- information uh, generally, but you uh, you you're able to put it on as like more of like a like a it looks like a helmet like a skateboarder's helmet or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's using like long wavelength light and actually you know beaming it in and imaging the, the what 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 it's getting back out, uh, and it's actually imaging the tiny changes in blood flow in your brain um that's one of their technologies they have a couple other ones too but uh yeah i, I went off on a bit of a tangent there sorry i i interrupted no, you're
0: fine yeah i just was thinking like Neuralink, right everybody's you know whether you've heard him on rogan or anywhere else elon musk talked a lot about Neuralink. i saw this thing where he's i think it was like they had pigs playing pong or it was a yeah. monkey it was a monkey. Yeah, they had a monkey pong, playing video games right yeah. But it's, it's still, it's data, right? They're capturing data of some way, shape, or form. Similar, I would imagine, to something like kernel, probably different types of data, but running it through artificial intelligence to create outcomes and predictability and solve problems. I mean, I, I would imagine that's the engine that would drive any type of br- like brain interface. And then it, it kind of goes to that place where you're explaining... The augmented reality, I feel like I'd be walking around in like a thing of, uh, what was that? A Sonic the Hedgehog, where it's like, you got rings every, oh, there's my yeah. life. You know, here's how tired I am. Oh, I should go to sleep by nine o'clock tonight because I'm connected in and I'm getting readings from, you know, like right now I, you can look at a whoop strap, right? Or you can yeah. w- check your wearables. But I, I would imagine somebody's going to tie all this together and you're going to have like a dashboard of gauges that are a pop up in your field of vision
1: yeah and so like um and and it can become a bit much for you and that's one of the things that i think they need to somewhat iron out is is being able to um filter the information that you need and you want and have it so that you can slide the scale between more and less information as you go so i i have one of those smart watches uh, to be able to look at your activity levels and your heart rate and your blood oxygenation and stuff like that. And I got, I stopped wearing it because it was constantly buzzing about something and I don't want to be, I don't want to be distracted. If I want to look at, you know, my, my watch, I will, i look at my watch and you can turn off the notifications, but there's always something. And uh, I, I actually didn't even like getting one of the reasons somebody told me to get to wear that thing was because I, because then you don't have to get your phone out to look at texts and, and to make calls. I'm like, actually I've, miss that text and text the person back later that's kind of the point of a text but uh i get a little off topic i guess no, um, it's
0: so true though you got you're literally reading my mind is, but,
1: uh, and, and, and i guess coming back there. to the wearable technology you know there's the concern that that's going to happen i i think uh you know getting back to kernel though is like and and similar you know brain monitoring technology um so you were talking about uh, neuralace the uh, brain machine interface uh, that, that's being worked on as a product. There's a lot of that similar stuff and in some t- cases, more sophisticated things going on in research, um, but they have a good funding level in, in, in that company. So uh, they're also probably getting a lot of uh, able to do things fast and, and, and they have a lot of help. But it, it's, um, it, you know, that the brain machine interface thing that's, there's, a, there's like a big divide between that and, um, and, and things like kernel and these, and these non-invasive things because for the, the neural lace to, anytime you're putting something um, inside the skull, uh, which is what they're doing with a lot of that stuff with neural lace, for example, um, that's a dangerous surgery and, and you can have a lot of bad things happen. That's why this, this non-invasive things like the near-infrared um, you know, brain wave monitoring, even like the older technology, which has been around for, for many, many years, it's been around for decades, several, more than several decades, uh, EEG, so uh, electroencephalogram. And these are all trying to read the brain, and they are, it's some with some resolution reading the brain's activity uh, without having to stick something into your brain, um, and, and that's why, like the combination of that plus the wearable technology that's always seeing what's out there, but at the same time integrating that data with uh, some measure of what your brain's doing, that's going to be a synergistic uh, effect, and is what I'm trying to trying to kind of convey. Uh, just like with the processor increase and the the, the, the bet, hot, better high bandwidth communications and now you're able to stream a podcast we're going to be able to do really surprising things with these brain monitoring devices especially when we have other data coming in about not from from outside the brain when it's able to see what your eyes are seeing and it gets a certain signal from the brain monitoring device it's going to be able to tell what you're thinking a lot better as well as what I'm saying. And, and the other side of it is, as I mentioned, a lot of times those streams of data are kind of, uh, you know, classified or um, even recognized perhaps as a certain pattern that reflects a certain brain activity um, or, or perhaps even what your rough idea of what you're thinking about or your emotional state that is often done with, machine learning, uh, and artificial intelligence and specifically deep neural network based approaches. And that requires a lot of data. And so the, the more data they have, the more people who are using these and the more people that are like using these out in the field, it's going to have like a, a building, uh, uh, like a synergistic and build on effect. Mm -hmm. And you're going to see this really rapid advance. So for, for, Probably mostly good, actually. Um, and you know, all all the, these new technological advances—they can always do good or bad things. But I'm pretty optimistic, especially in this area, about the the brain monitoring, that it's it's going to be mostly used for good. And I'm not always optimistic about stuff like that, so I wouldn't be too worried. Anyway, you know, I, I've I've been talking a lot here, uh, but yeah. So, what are your thoughts on that now? I mean, what what more? What what would you want to know about like the capabilities that this might be able to do like the applications for example might be
0: well that and that's that's where i'm going because i i would imagine initially it's in probably medical right and but then my head starts to go towards criminal and legal like how many people do we have in prison right now that are convicted of crimes that they didn't commit and how many people are walking free of crimes because they're really good liars Mm -hmm. right and so I would, you know, I'm sure there's a barrier to entry due to cost. And this is years away from being even standard and holding up in the court of law. But I start to go that direction. And I, initially I was afraid, but I'm starting to think more to a conversation I think we may have had on the first podcast where our brain fills in a lot of gaps in data for us, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So in a way it's already doing this process anyways. And sometimes What's a natural process is a less effective and efficient process and actually doesn't give us accurate information. So we might be looking at something and interpreting it incorrectly, where if we did have some sort of interface technologically, we would be more accurate and actually realistic in our thoughts because we wouldn't be tricking ourselves based on kind of the figments of our brain and imagination. Is that do yeah, I, I mean, like it's, it's an
1: interest. That's actually a really interesting <laughs> point. And, and I hadn't thought about it a lot it, it, directly that way. Um, the, the idea that you could um, re- reflect on what we do now is we, we have a video camera all, with us all the time. And we can, we can watch it back and see that you, you can ask yourself, did that really happen? But in, in, in a lot of cases, um, it's still not clear. Um, and, and you can perceive things in different ways. With this technology, this this brain monitoring technology, especially if you wear it for a long time and it, and, it, and it gets a lot better, you're going to be asked. You're going to you're going to be able to ask yourself, not did I actually did that actually happen in the external world? You're going to be able to say, hey, what did I feel back then? Is it similar to what I'm what I'm feeling about something right now? Uh, did I know that the person asked me like, I I you know did I remember that correctly uh, or did I? Or does this fit the pattern of thinking that I had when my 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 brain was playing tricks on me? Uh, for example, or and as you went talked about the, the medical applications, I don't know if it's going to be good or bad, but it's going to be interesting when we start to not just be able to diagnose people, but be able to use it as a as a tool for people to try to you know see that their that their brain is acting differently in, late at night or. If they're having um, manic bouts, for example, mm-hmm. uh, you know, see how, they can see how their brain changes, and sometimes you can't see that from the outside because your brain is what you're you're creating the memories with, and so it can trick you in those ways. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting ride with this stuff. I I, I think um, it's it's been a long time. It's been a long tail on this on this type of technology you know, EEG has been around for, for, for many decades now. And um, it's, it's becoming, you know, it's actually one of the things that's synergizing with it is this artificial intelligence and being able to make sense of the data that comes out. So uh, it's going to be exciting. Um, there's going to be some disturbing things probably too. <laughs> but, yeah. It's, that's why it's important to have these things where you like talk about them with, you know, you know, Cause your mind can just go anywhere when you start to think about possibilities, uh, stuff like this. So.
0: Do we understand the brain? Like somebody like myself, like I, I'm, and I, we talked about this last time that you only use a per certain percentage of your brain. I know that's not the case, but like, how much of the brain do we really understand? And is it as big of a mystery for people like yourself who do understand or work with the, you know, these types of things on a daily basis. And it's just cliche for someone like me to say, we don't understand the brain, but then like you guys are like, well, now we kind of actually do understand the brain. This is how it works.
1: It's kind of a, a version of both. And, and I, and I, I don't want to give a, and I, I won't give a, you know, um, kind of a half, half-hearted answer on that. I mean, it's, it's, it's both. And, and how it's both is that we, we know a lot about the anatomy of the brain, uh, down from the, the the level of looking at it as we've been doing for hundreds of years, down to the level of the molecular makeup. And we're we're especially in the last you know ten years that's really taken off. Um, we we do know the the parts uh, fairly well. We don't know everything, uh, but. We we do know the parts enough that we like, we we know the general makeup of the brain, Um, but then the part that we don't you know have an answer. And when you say we don't understand how the brain works, that's very accurate. We know what it's made of. We um, mostly we don't know what the things that are made of how they work together to generate um, the most important functions of the brain. Um, I could go off on a long tangent and maybe we have time later. I will. Uh, but I, I, think neuroscience, a lot of them think about the brain in ways that are not helpful for understanding it. We're kind of stuck in some ways, not everyone. Uh, it's, um, it's one of those things that we, We do understand the parts, as I was saying, we can get an idea about how the parts change during uh, different types of thought, sleep, wake, consciousness, unconsciousness. Um, A lot of that comes from things like functional MRI and monitoring the brain's activity, but we don't have a good idea about um, the real fundamental nature of things like memory and consciousness. Um, the perception of consciousness, or if it's a, a thing that you can talk about as a real thing, and you and pretty much any idea that you can conceive of is then a, because it's an idea is is something you can talk about. Um, things like consciousness, sleep, wake, memory, even um, we know a lot more about it in the last fifteen years, but we still don't understand it. We don't understand entirely why people sleep and dream. There's there's a lot of good Uh, ideas about it. Um, And there's things that we know it's doing, but we don't know for sure if that's the the, main reason why the main reason and the entirety of of the of the purpose for it, because sleep is a um, it's a pretty costly. People say, oh, well, it keeps you from going out into the night when we were in the, you know, um, before we had, you know, civilization and kept you from getting eaten by a lion i I don't think that's true because a lot of people especially when you're out camping and stuff like that and you're outside of you know people fall down and get hurt when they're when they're trying to like wake up and when you first wake up that's that's often when you can make mistakes uh Mm. and get hurt you know and that sleeping that's when people even going back to humans but other animals when that's when people attack each other for example you know and and that they'll they'll break into a village and and you know and and kill a bunch of people because they were asleep and so it doesn't make sense that it's like protecting you in some way it's a i think it's a it's a required state change for the brain and there's a lot of people that think that same thing in neuroscience so that's just one of the examples that we have ideas across a different range you know, like we know that it's doing stuff um it's kind of uh, Resetting the ability for synapses to change their strength, uh, so you can either consolidate memories or it, it makes it so that you can efficiently form new memories. Maybe both. Let's so uh, do a little cleaning. But uh, so it's it. uh, it's that's just one of the things. Like, yeah. so if if I can go back to my answer, it's like we know what it's made of. We know aspects of of all the most of the functions of the brain, what they're doing. But together, when we think about it as a whole, we don't really. There's a lot of a lot of major important areas that we need to figure out. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, They're talking about the pineal gland, and you know, I I go down these tr- crazy trips on no no pun intended. Um, you know, psychedelics and just how so many of these things. I've never experienced it, but some people say, hey, you know, you can go into a DMT type experience by doing, you know, Kundalini yoga w- without any type of, you know, artif- artificial substance, you know, that to me, and I've heard people say that it's a naturally occurring substance inside of the body, that the body produces it in the lungs and in the pineal gland. But I don't know if there's been any type of firm, like, I don't know if that's scientifically proven or if that's just bro science, but it would seem to make a lot of sense. And then you start to go into these, you know, things like, uh, near that near death experiences and why people see these things and the commonalities, you know, I, I go on for hours and hours and hours, but you know, that was kind of, I guess where I was getting at with understanding the brain and its capabilities, because it seems. Yeah. I mean,
1: think about sleep, for example, and dreaming, I I should be more specific dreaming. Those are some of the craziest trips you could ever take. I mean, not, not that I've, I've tried the real stuff, but, uh, the, in the waking world, but, uh, uh, as people may have described it to me, I mean, it's, uh, you know, you, you, you have people morphing into other people. You have, uh, sometimes the ability to fly, you know, uh, you know, strange fears, like a, a feeling of dread or something. These are, you know, the equivalent of, of a trip that your brain is just creating for you. And, um, cause I, I think, sleep should be thought of a different form of consciousness uh, i mean again i shouldn't say sleep i should say dreaming because you can often remember your dreams when you wake up and even if you don't remember them entirely they can they they're the memories there of what happened in that dream and so if you have the idea that you are somewhere and you're um and you have and it changes your brain in some way in the form of a memory and how your brain works going forward um I think that can be one definition of, of uh, when you have, feel like you're in a place and you have the feeling that you have a continuity from, from recent memories uh, that I think that's one kind of way to describe consciousness. And so, although your body's not moving, you're not responding to things from the external world, you're, you, you, you feel like you're in a, you're existing in a place in space and you have a continuous, you know, kind of, uh, memories from before. So I, I think, you know, dreaming is, is can, can be, a, a way to access some of these things because that's your brain's making that on its own. And that's like a crazy trip that you could experience. Who knows what's going to happen the next time. If you can remember your dreams, If you get enough sleep to remember your dreams. Um, it's the equivalent of a crazy trip. So of course, if you, um, meditate and, and are practicing driving your brain into a state, uh, obviously we, we all do it. We, we all can do that. So, I mean, I don't think that there's any reason to doubt that you could do that um, through uh, practice and um, also, you know, the changing your physical state, like uh, whether it's yoga, just normal med- meditation, mm-hmm. those things, I mean, we know they're changing the brain activity, and if you get good enough, and some people may be able to, some people might. So some people can never remember their dreams, even if they get enough sleep. So it just depends on the person uh, probably. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that that's possible. And and I think we we should assume it's possible because we have, we all, most of us have experienced what it's like to dream. Not so much. Um, I
0: never thought of that. I've had some some seriously bizarre dreams that even to this day, like I... As a child, I actually had – my parents took me in. I was having night terrors, and so they – I did a sleep study. I was probably second grade maybe, and I would wake up in the middle of the night fully awake to them. I had no recollection of it, and this went on for months. And I think they – my parents were taking a trip, and I was going to be not with them for two weeks. I think there was a lot of anxiety leading up to that possibly because I never really – had issues with it again but there was a chunk of time my mom was petrified they thought I had some sort of like uh epilepsy and you know I'd climb the furniture and scream and then I'd like wake up and be like just it was so so weird there my dad's always like man I wish I had a cell phone camera back then
1: yeah that would be it'd be interesting (laughs) you know kind of and then you kind of have the opposite of that too and I've experienced this very rarely and some people experience it kind of chronically where it's the opposite they they feel that they're awake but they can't move their body and that's oh, that's just your brain's natural ability to shut off the the motor control to the rest of your body um it's a both of those things can be pretty uh disconcerting i mean it's not it's not really funny but it can be kind of it's interesting to see yeah. you know the different behaviors that it can resolve these you know i when i when you said night terrors i thought you were talking about like um the, you know, this, this feeling of like pure dread without the ability to move that some people get, um, I've experienced that very rarely. And it's one of these things that every, not everybody, but a lot of people's brains do, you know, and it's part of this, you know, sleep, wake, uh, transition of consciousness. And it's really interesting give give us insights. Uh, the other thing about, you know, sleeping and memory, there's, they're connected uh, the formation and consolidation of memory or the kind of resetting so that you can have a um, the ability to m- uh, make new memories a- a- as part of it that's all related to some of the ways in which um, some psychedelic drugs work um, they're acting through the same pathways of course because the same part of your brain you know your brains are made your, your cells in your brain use the same types of signaling. Uh, things like NMDA receptors. Uh, it's interesting how they can create these um, you know, uh hallucinations with psychedelics. And um it, they they're using a lot of the same ways that are involved in memory and then memories tied to sleep. Um, and and some of the other psych- psychedelics they they work through things like serotonin, and and, and uh, that's interesting. I I don't personally you know understand how that works, um, but uh, the the NMDA receptor antagonist, uh, you can kind of see that they're they're creating this by just a little messing a little bit with the the just the underlying way that the brain processes. Uh, information and I hesitate to say that because I think in some ways we focus too much on talking about processing information uh, with the brain in trying to relate it to how computers work. But that's a that's a whole other you know conversation. So yeah, um, I don't even know where we're at now. I, I
0: <laughs> no, this is good stuff. It's uh, you're you're solving all these lifelong questions that I've had and, and another one and I think you're probably familiar with this, but um, the fact that the human brain doubled in size in such a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. And I've heard so many varying accounts for why this happens. And I don't think I've ever heard somebody with your background, it's always been, you know, a Terrence McKenna and his crazy theory, or, you know, somebody that's been spouting off on a podcast, but just the fact in and of itself, I don't know if there's other organs in the body that have an evolutionary c- cycle that's kind of mimicked that or where we can draw inferences from other species, um, outside of primates, where this is something that's consistent, but do you have any insight there based on your research as to what would have triggered that? Because I've well heard- one
1: thing that's kind of, you know, to start, I would say it's, it's part, partly unique because our brains are so much different. They're, they're different, uh, at even a cellular level and in a lot of cases, um, people will tell you that our brains are, that we have, we have generally the same cells and molecules and they're related to each other, but there's a lot of differences too. Then, 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 um, you know, things like a, a frog or something like that. <laughs> we, we have the same types of cells, but they're, they're, they're much different in their actual shape and, and how they work and stuff like that. Um, but, and, and, with that with these major differences uh we don't have a a fossil record uh because brains are not preserved we can't look back at a fossil record of of how how brains evolved we can look at a molecular level and try to understand you can get a lot of information by doing you know like looking at how genetics can kind of like you can you can infer uh some information about evolution by looking at how the genetics change between different animals. And we have animals that have been around for much longer than than humans and even longer than primates uh, in a very similar form. And so you can look at the genetics and learn some stuff in the specifically the the parts of the genetic code that are most relevant to how our brains um, both fun, like, just are working normally, like the, the the proteins that make up our brains are encoded by genes. And we can look at how those genes have changed between, let's say, just as an example, frogs and, and humans. Um, we can't look at the fossil record though. And so um, that's one of the actual, and collaborating on a pro- really exciting project um, to look at um, what we do have available, which is looking across, it, you know, different types of animals that have quite different, for example, brain size. Uh, and this is not primarily my work, but I'm doing an awesome collaboration with with someone at NYT, um, looking at, you know, how the brain development and ending morphology changes. Uh, we're, we're working some on, like, very cognitively capable animals versus animals that are less co- well to, to say it another way kind of dumb uh, so um <laughs> one of the animals that's surprising in that it has a very small brain but can do a lot of the um mentally difficult tasks um for example can build tools is a crow uh, um some of these new caledonian crows uh ravens they're extremely intelligent and we can tell they are because they have they, they can count they can recognize people um they they can build tools uh and, and this isn't my work with the behavior of crows but it, the idea is that these, these animals have much much smaller brains in comparison to an animal that's has the same ability so i mean dogs can't really build. There's, there's maybe, I don't know if they build tools or not quite frankly. They can do some really, really great behaviors and learn very well. Um, certainly obviously recognize people and, and, and in some ways they can see the intent of other people. But apparently crows can do that too. They can, they can know another crow uh, saw them hide food and they'll watch out for that crow, but not another crow because they know that crow knows where their food is, for example. Um, so they're very, very intelligent animals. And, you know, by underst- studying how their brains are structured, we might be able to start to understand how they have that increased cognitive abilities in comparison to another animal that has a much larger brain, but maybe isn't exhibiting those, those types of behaviors. And um, we can get ideas about why our brain increased in size, but also why it in- increased in its abilities. And, you know, part of that is looking at the different parts of the brain that did increase their size versus other parts that didn't, you know, and things like that. So uh, of course our, our, cerebral cortex, the outer layer, it's all folded up uh, because it just, it trying to pack that much area close enough together so that it can communicate efficiently. And also it just doesn't take up just a ridiculous amount of space. Um, it, we, our brain's got these folds, just like, um, brains of other highly intelligent animals like dolphins they have very uh folded cortex um and so you know that's one of the we can we can look at those things and compare between animals and try to understand it um why our brain increased i can't really answer that there's a lot of good research in that area um in size and ability um i think yeah I, i i better um kind of back off on that because it's kind of getting outside of my area. Um, I would say that a lot of it has to do with competition and social interactions. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the, the ideas in that area are, are centered around mm-hmm. um, because as we begin to be able to communicate it's, it's um, and, and hold, uh, pass on information across people, you need to have more and more memories. It gives you more and more of an advantage to be able to learn how to do things and figure things out. Um, and, and so a lot of it might become from, you know, competition between people um, for prominence, being able to tell whether somebody else is telling the truth or not. When they tell you, they might be telling you that the, um, you know, the, the Buffalo went that way so that they have more buffalo to, to be able to hunt, right? Um, so you have the the ability to uh, discern whether somebody's telling you the truth, and that means like telling yourself a story and saying like, if I was that person, and I said that, I got to be just a little bit smarter than them to figure out that they're lying, right? And so you have this like arms race uh, of cognitive function. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think that that's one of the reasons why humans that kind of had this spike in brain size, but also uh, a real jump forward in, in their abilities. And uh, it probably had like a feedback effect on how they r- raise their children, how we raise our children, as opposed to how other uh, species do. Um, and based on that, it allowed our brains to get bigger. We, we were able to feed our children so they could have the nutrients they needed to increase their brain size even further. And then that allowed them to have, you know, better ways of taking care of their children, better ways of getting food. And it just kind of had, again, like I keep saying it, but like a synergistic effect, uh, on, on the brain, but then you're bumping up against like physical limits, you know, for example, and that's why size of your skull, the size, the size of your skull, but also like, um, the ability to get the blood, uh, uh, to your your brain consumes a lot of energy, a lot of oxygen, a lot of the glucose that you uh, your the rest of your body works with, but it, it consumes such a high percentage of your energy that we uh, we need more and more energy. The bigger the brain gets, it gets harder and harder for the brain to properly communicate across the uh, a bigger and bigger you know area, and so that requires more and more energy. And you kind of like hit a limit, uh, about how big your brain can get. And it's physical limits about like your heart, um, things like, uh, you know, your ability to, again, pump the blood through your brain, uh, get to get the right amount of nutrients. All of these things can, uh, can create limits. And so, I don't know. I mean, we might be able to engineer our ways around it. And that would be a really unique thing because then, and we already are in some ways doing that. Um, we're, we're, we're figuring a way around the limits. And that's what this is like your phone, for example. Hmm. Um, n- now it, it may seem like a, somewhat of a curse sometimes, but it also allows us to get where we're going much faster. It allows us to you know get stuff done faster and learn more. And we're able to do science faster. we are able to find, you know, new therapies for disease faster. And so we're kind of like engineering our way around the limits of our own brain with things like this. And it'll be, you know, wearable technology. It'll be things like, um, you know, monitoring brain activity, whether it's this um, near-infrared optical monitoring of of brain function or electroencephalogram, EEG-type monitoring or magnetic resonance. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it'll be, that's going to start feeding back into our productivity and our ability to um, increase our, uh, both our abilities, but also um, increase, hopefully, the rich richness of our lives. Um, I've been listening to, as much as I can, podcasts, and I know this, is, I, I need to get caught up on, on yours, actually. I, I was listening to it for a long time, and I do it while I'm mowing. So, uh, and we're Same riding in my car. I haven't been doing as much of either of those lately, but anyway, yeah. So no,
0: I, I appreciate you going and entertaining that because as, as you're explaining it, I'm like, you know what? There's so much that we don't understand about the brain that this portion is probably like the least of importance to understand it's right always important because, to understand how you
1: got to where you are though. I mean, uh, yeah, I
0: mean, I, I like the sexy version. I'm like, I wish you would tell me the only way it's possible. Somebody beamed down genetically altered us because it couldn't happen, but you know, it's uh, it makes sense. And it, it makes me wonder like how all of this, whether we interface with technology or not, like if those experiences of, Hey, the Buffalo went this way, when they actually went this way, if that created growth, maybe we've maxed out to those physical forms, but something must be happening right now and we're in the middle of it. So we don't recognize it, but man, to be able to like be us in however many thousands or millions of years to look back at this point in time and analyze it from a high level and say, you know, these things, these things, all of these things were occurring to civilization at the time and human developed this next step of consciousness or the brain uh I don't know, it'd be kind of cool
1: yeah I, I think we we always need to we do need to look back to how we got here and i would say um for better or worse and i think mostly better actually i mean there's a lot of awful things that happened uh you, you you couldn't and maybe there will be in the future there's been bad times uh but i i think we got here by technology, and um, I think it's kind of hard to argue about that. Whether it be technology in the form of language, uh, technology in the form of, of written word, printing, uh, being able to copy things, um, uh, in the form of lo- technology in the form of, of teaching and learning, structuring uh, the access to education. Um, these are all different types of technology. And now we're talking over a computer um, through, you know, wireless, uh, you know, beaming up to space, or it's going kind of, <laughs> uh, I don't know uh, exactly how we're, we're even communicating right now. And um, it's, um, we got here by technology. And so I, I do worry sometimes when, maybe this comes and goes across the, you know, generations. Uh, we start to think, oh no, we need to go back. We need to. Go, we need to like, we need to uh, stop going forward and just try to try to prevent things from getting worse. And um, that's never been the approach, and because somebody else is going to go out and try to figure out how to solve that problem with technology. And if we try to stop, unfortunately, um, we can't. We have to keep going forward. Um, where that leads us, whether it goes to disaster or some kind of utopia, uh, I, I don't know. I don't think anybody can say. The
0: destiny though. I think you're right. You know, I think we, we do, we spend a lot of time trying to fight something that at the end of the day, we're never going to be able to, you can't push back on that. It's got mm-hmm. the momentum of civilization up against it. So, and I, that's I, why you touched on all the other podcasts and we were talking before, we started this thing. Some of the other folks that, you know, come from your background, academia, you know, that are researchers and scientists that have found a place in, I guess you could call it the mainstream. What, what is now, I, I consider podcasts at least the larger podcasts, right? The, the Rogans. I mean, they're those types of podcasts are reaching more people than all the top cable news channels combined. And when you really start to think about that, to have science on the forefront, because I don't remember a time where you had a, a character like Alex Friedman or a Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's maybe a little bit more on the entertainment side sometimes, but those people being on the forefront of culture and, and dialogue. And I think it's such a positive thing. And I mean, to have you come on, it's, I mean, there's an interest for me, but like I said earlier, man, everybody loves when I have you on, when I've had others like you on, because we all wanna learn, I think Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, and we all have fascinations and curiosity. And uh, we have a life that's filled with just kind of dumbed down crap. So when you get to sit down and have a long form conversation and really explore it, albeit while you're mowing your grass. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's literally what I do. I put my earbuds in, and then I've got my old Beats headphones that are I took the wire out of and I put it over top so that I don't have the mower distracting me and I'll go through three or four hours of doing yard work and just listen to, you know, a couple podcasts.
1: Yeah. And, it, and you're getting a little bit of exercise, hopefully at the same time. And, yeah. and uh, I have an lot, ele- I have a battery powered uh, push mower. And, and uh, so that's, that's, that's kind of nice. I don't need to even block out the noise, which is, which is nice because they're a little quieter, but uh, yeah, it's, it's really nice because you can, Um, it's almost like you I I walk sometimes and and listen to it Um, and it it is a deeper conversation and it's something we you know there's been podcasts for a long time but we 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 need it it's because you the way the internet presents information versus I mean documentaries are great but um, I, I mean my kids don't don't sit down and watch documentaries very often anymore. Cause there's just like, inf- like oh, it's entertainment. Just, it's, it's all driven you know?
0: from you'll watch, I'll watch a documentary. I'll literally turn on Netflix. I'll see something that catches my attention. I'll run upstairs and I'll tell my wife, throw away all the meat. We got to get all the meat. out. You know what I mean? Not that I've gone down that road, but I'm just being somewhat humorous, but you know, but then I'll come down and I'll turn on the next one. It's like, Hey, go pull all the meat out of the garbage and get rid of all the vegetables because the documentaries are just made from a point of view of pushing the narrative. It's I uh, there was one out there that after I looked into it, I'm like, that was really compelling. It's not what I would have thought, but it's compelling. then I looked and George Lucas's wife was the producer and she's like the head of a vegan association. And she's like completely against the consumption of meat. And I'm like, okay, I'm not saying you're wrong. I think there's a lot of good points that you made in there. But anybody that does the research and then sees like what the backstory is here, you kind of like, man, you've got an agenda and that's on both sides. So I, to your point, that's a big reason why I love these open forum
1: conversations. I think they're great. And you have people coming on that don't always just talk about their particular science. Like I could I could be talking about, you know, the, the experiments I'm doing right now. And, and, and it, it, it's, it's interesting, but it's not when you don't have a wider contact text and it's nice to just have a conversation with somebody that at least you know they're an expert on one thing or the other and even with that I mean you have to be sometimes be careful but when you when like for example Joe Rogan's podcast I think he does more for for science outreach than, than almost anybody and it's, and it's you would never expect that right I mean like Joe Rogan like fear factor so yeah. yeah. And it's and it's so cool because you're you're actually entertain you're actually in, in, in li- interested in listening you like you don't want to you don't want to stop mowing because you're, you're you're listening to the podcast right um, and it, those conversations are you know not just one sided they're they're somebody talking and 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 that's even like I was recently listening to Andrew Huberman's uh, podcast he's in neuroscience he's, he's, he's real deal I mean he's great great in neuroscience um, and um, you know, it's interesting because he's talking to somebody else who's you know outside of the field of, of, of neuroscience, and he's asking questions that are like, you know, just there where somebody who doesn't isn't an expert would be asking those questions. And it's it's bringing the audience into it, and, and um, you're you're the you're kind of speaking for the audience, and you're also getting. I think useful information because it's a form of a, a storytelling. It's 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 a it's the form of a conversation, and it's more than just like some super edited, you know, um, super condensed, maybe somewhat trying to push your perspective in a certain way. You're just talking with someone, and I think that's really really important, especially with science, because um, it's important that I think the the public. Um, both understand the limits, but also the, uh, the benefits of, of um, science and, and science across the board. We often have the idea that if you're not treating a, a disease, if you're not designing new therapy for a disease, and there's a definitely an important place for that. Um, but if we knew how to do it, if we knew what we needed to do ahead of time, somebody would have done it because there's a lot of money to be made in in treating different diseases we need to do the basic science too to to understand what we don't know like the mechanisms that we don't know down to you know why are these cells dying in parkinson's disease for example um we don't we know some of the you know underlying the things that happen and, and we know that that's what's making the cells die we don't know why it happens in certain people, and in order to figure that out, you have to you have to do the basic research too. Um, and uh, I think it's important. Like these podcasts will alert the public to what we don't know too, so that they know what we why we're why we're doing research on like a basic level. Um, and um, I think that's coming out of it's more more likely to come out of these because when you see my research reported or, you know, really exciting new discoveries reported in a, in a forum where the average non-scientist would read them, they have to really amp it up and hype it up. And they're often twisting it just like they do. in the, like you were saying with those documentaries, um, they're, they're twisting it as much as they can while keeping most of the facts. And that's not going to happen on the side of a, you know like a a podcast quite as much i think so yeah um it's a it's a really exciting thing to see this and and i i listen to podcasts to learn as well so uh it's it's fun um and they have some really good ones that like that andrew Huberman one it's, mm-hmm. it seems really good um and joe rogan he has such a great variety he, he seems to like to have a lot of scientists on there
0: i love it I love, and he's, and he's got that wild side where he can ask a couple of questions that are like, you know, it, 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 even makes the scientists kind of smile and chuckle. And it's like, he knows where those limits are and yeah, it, yeah, it makes it interesting. I, I'd be curious, you know, from a practitioner's standpoint, or, you know, is that a welcomed conversation? I mean, I know the outcome of it, you've, you know, you kind of speak to it in a positive light that it does bring the the lay person into the conversation more, which I yeah. think has an overall benefit. But as somebody who does understand something, you know, I could probably ask your brother the same question, right? It's like trying to teach a white belt in jujitsu when, when you're an expert, right? Is that a welcomed conversation to have dialogue around things that you're v- just levels and levels above with somebody like myself when I'm kind of like v- giving you broken English around how, it, how things work?
1: Yeah, I, I for me, I, I can speak for myself. But um, you know, I, I guess everybody's different, and uh, people have different interactions. But for me, it's uh, you—you'll have a hard time getting me to shut up. I—I I, I, I love talking about it, um, and I—I'm I, also probably more more so than a lot of researchers. I welcome talking and admitting what what I don't know. Um, and what the, the scientific field, our um, gaps in knowledge, our gaps in understanding, um, I I I like it. It's a little uncomfortable, but you know, it's 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 kind of exciting too. Yeah. And it it hones my thinking. You know, like the our conversation here, it's it's not all information or informational towards somebody else when you, when you talk about these things, I'm, you know, thinking about things in new ways as myself. And, and that's, that's the fun thing about it too. So
0: oh, that's really cool. Um, shoot, I was, <clears throat> there's something I was going to ask you. Um,
1: so I would, um, you know, just to, if you want to get back to the, 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 you know, neural lace, the, there's, there's other things. And I, I'm, I'm, I've kind of changed my thinking. There's a, there's a good, uh, audio book out now if you want to learn about those types of things I, I can I can recommend that that'll I think they'll be good for you the average person okay. um, that that uh things like uh if you want to learn about EEG and the functional near-infrared you know optical imaging of brain function um there's an audio book came out you know recently um that covers it very well by uh, Douglas Fields, um, uh, Electric Brain is what it's called. It gives a big history and stuff like that. Uh, there's a lot of interesting information there. Um, another, if you're interested in deep learning uh, and also brain science, um, there's one by Terry Sanowski that's really exciting and interesting. He's, he's a, a rare expert in both and one of the founders in, in uh, deep neural network-based artificial intelligence. And um, I'd recommend reading that uh, if you're interested in learning more about the background of, of artificial intelligence. And in the same time, you get a lot of information about brain, brain uh, science and neuroscience. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think uh, you know, it's always fun to talk about those things and, and bring those, those uh, you know, my recommendations. And on the other side of it, I have you know coming from your podcast and and speaking with with my brother Warren he uh, you know fills me in on things about in the area of, of uh, exercise sports and, and like health and and optimizing health for um, for sports and, and and other things and so he's uh, he's always kind of like a connector to new areas and and um, and that's, you know, in a weird roundabout way, I, I got into this whole other area using virtual reality and um, for both research and therapy, and we're really kind of going down the avenue of exercise therapy for using VR. In a weird roundabout way, it, it was, it was through Warren and, and uh, me coming to visit him in Pittsburgh. It's a long story, probably, probably not the most interesting story it was just kind of a series of coincidence but um yeah it, it, you know he's always that person that's looking for something else and 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 interacting with people like that you get to do exciting new things like being on a podcast for example uh, <laughs> so yeah we're, we're we're and that's that's one of the areas we're, we're actually using an uh, eeg system And we'll probably look into the the functional uh, near infrared uh, imaging for brain, looking at brain function to see what's going on when you're um, using VR headsets and stuff like that. Um, And and looking at how people's performance changes, both in um, neurological disorders and in like for like training and improving performance. So could you do
0: something like that for like police that are you know um, we're, like- we're just
1: getting started that's not really at the stage yet to be able to talk about that um we're, we're we are getting started with something it's a really exciting collaboration it's um it's kind of combining in some ways uh i probably can't talk about it too much actually but uh it, it's it's combining in some ways some real real simple robotics um with both uh training for medicine and Um, it's not there, but it's almost like if you think about way, 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 way dumbed down version of like, you know, how you could use things like Westworld to be able to train people to interact with patients, for example, uh, and figure out what's going on with a a patient or in a police type setting um, or in a military setting, um, you can analyze what works and what doesn't in different situations look at how people's brains are um functioning when they perform well and when they don't um we're looking at it from a therapeutic standpoint like using exercise as therapy Hmm. uh for for neurodevelopmental uh disorders uh like autism spectrum disorder and um and because there's kind of a uh a combination effect of, uh, exercise and is actually good for the brain. And I think on some level, everybody kind of understands that. Um, but it also, it, it can enhance learning. It exercise like cardiovascular, you know, raising the, the heart rate type exercise actually is one of the most powerful ways to increase certain, um, uh, substances in the brain uh there's one main example that i'm sure all the neuroscientists will know i'm thinking of is bdnf uh brain-derived neurotrophic factor these are things that are involved in learning and also um, that are dysregulated in many disorders uh, it affects how the cells work it also affects how the how well the cells survive in the in you know aging and stress and so um you know we're we're trying to combine virtual reality and technology because it's really powerful, and and I, I'd be I'd be really interested in I- explaining that further. Why I I think uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, those types of things are a really powerful tool for both therapy and for um, uh, for scientific research, especially neuroscience. Um, and we can talk about that. But you know we're combining that. With exercise, and yeah, you know, and I think there's a lot of p- potential there, because you're not just trying to get people to exercise harder, which it does, uh, actually.
0: Oh, I've done a, some
1: of the boxing
0: with. Yeah. my Brother brought his. He had his VR. Uh, I can't remember. The, I think it was an Oculus. Yeah, we, probably uh, not. We just, you know, I hit the heavy bag, and then he's like, "Here, fight this guy." And I'm like in the backyard, you know, four or five rounds of that and you're dying. I'm like Your drenched I'm, you're like you're wet. Like, yeah, yeah.
1: You, you, it's a it's a real workout. Um and you know, if you're if you're able to develop that, which is what we're doing, we're 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 from scratch building our own our own virtual reality. I can call it games, but they're actually, you know, platforms, I would say, or tools. Um we're building them for doing that specifically, as opposed to, you, you need to make it entertaining and give like the the rewards and the in the cues of positive and negative cues to keep people going. And, and we, we're employing some of the, the gamification and these addicting qualities of, of video games. We're employing that hopefully for good to get people to exercise longer. But the big thing, one of the big things that, that VR allows Um, and this type of, you know, the, the suite of technology around VR, whether it's like motion capture, um, and monitoring heart rate while you're doing VR, um, the, the big thing is, is it allows you to much, much more richly and accurately capture the performance and the change in performance of the person over time, because. When you think about what the VR system that you use, for example, the Oculus, uh, what, some of the the Rift through the Quest and the new Quest, they're amazing, amazing pieces of technology, I think, because it's it's figuring out what you your, where your gaze is based on gyroscopes and, and motion sensors um, and tracking now, outside, inside out tracking. It, it's getting this extremely fast and accurate measurement of your head where your hands are, you don't even need the controllers anymore for uh, a lot of them. Uh, the, the newer VR headsets, you can just use your, your hands um, because they have cameras that recognize your hand position and where all your digits are. And it's, it's doing it extremely fast and extremely accurately in three dimensional space. Well, it needs to have the exact coordinates of all of those different parts where your head is, how it's tilted, your hands. And when you think about that from a sports or a, a military or a, a therapy or even just a measuring, you know, movement perspective, that's an unbelievable, unbelievably rich data set that you have matter. the opportunity to collect. Yeah,
0: yeah I mean, as a, as a, you know, as a, I'm bo- just putting it into sports context, right? It's like, you can be a boxer with a really great coach who's watching you and giving you tips. But I mean, to your point is to, to be able to actually look at the measurements of something and understand that, you know, after X amount of punches thrown, you know, your angles changed or your, your ability to pr- produce force changed exponentially. And then I would imagine be able to then create solutions to try to solve for those problems or avoid them altogether to deliver the final outcome. And I'm going into the sports realm, but I mean, I would imagine that's no different than, you know, situational training in a medical scenario or in a battlefield or in an emergency response. It's endless. All of
1: those things, you can, you can play them over and over again. Um, and you can create like a more and more realistic environment. You, if you've done the, the more recent VR things, it's, it's pretty amazing sometimes, but there's things you can't do in real life, for example, because in things like Um, you know, you can make objects that you could, for example, you can make a heart bigger than your living room, uh, and and actually see it from the inside. That's an example. You can do things like you can make something appear instantly, and you can make it appear based on prior behavior. Uh, That's hard to figure out how you could do that. And if you did, it would be unbelievable, it would be extremely expensive, and time consuming to create something like that. You can do it with a few, uh, you know, pop, copy and paste some code, attach it to a game object. You can do that very quickly. And you can even make it so that the game or the therapy tool or the uh, sports performance tool um, responds to the perf- prior performance, even within that session, and is basically like a, a custom trainer. And you can. And our goal is to employ on the fly um, forms of artificial intelligence to recognize patterns, to push you towards your, uh, you know, You can go another five minutes.
0: You can go five more minutes on this pace because your markers show that you aren't as tired, Yeah, using horrible terms, but you're not, you haven't spent as much energy or output to this point. So keep going
1: or you could create a predictive model that if this person on this day is performing well, it can, you know, be, maybe they had a little bit more sleep. We can actually make the, the duration of the targets that they're, they're, they're requiring to hit briefer and they'll still be able to perform well enough that they'll get even more uh, benefit out of the training or they're not doing as well today. We need, we need to dial it down so that they're able to not just, totally be overwhelmed by the, you know, like the rate that the targets are coming at them that they need to reach and hit. Um, in that case today, we'll, we'll, we'll dial it down a little bit. So they get maximum benefit and training efficiency or therapy efficiency. Mm. And these are things that, it, you know, a human trainer with years of experience could start to be able to do. But how, how scalable is that? You know what I mean? Here we can deploy it. If we if we make the program and the artificial intelligence correctly, that can be scaled to everybody. It democratizes. It increases access. You know, it lowers costs too. Um, and so that's one of the benefits. Is you know we we hope to get this out to more and more people. And uh, I don't want to go into specifics, but it also helped when, in the in the case of the pandemic, um, both on educational side and some of the exercise uh, programs that we have going on, um, we were able to um, allow people to practice more, get feedback on their performance when they don't have the they don't they can't be face to face with the professor, um, and it, and it's it's really I think it's it's only going to increase from there. It's going to increase uh, the ability to gain access to things. It's going to lower costs for for you know customized therapy for example um and it's going to help connect people too and that's one of the really exciting things about i think virtual reality going forward we don't have a lot of that yet but it's going to be important is that you're going to be able to like i can be training with you and warren in a virtual version of warren's gym here and i'm talking with the people i talk about how i did last week in virtual reality we built uh, extremely uh Brilliant medical student that's been working with me. We build a, a a version of of the mitts, and he was in Connecticut, and I was out here in Long Island, and we were. He, I was holding up the mitts, and he was punching them. You know, like I was like the the whole thing where you you have your hand horizontal and you flip it off, and you see how fast the person reacts. No no noticeable lag. And
0: I, I want to point something out though, because I think this is important. Uh, th- you can have all the technology you want in the world, but it takes the human element to think outside of the box. And what I mean by that is a few years back, so my background's actually in technology, software, um, work in enterprise type technology. But I was at a conference, uh, man, it had to have been five or six years ago now. And there it was, I want to say some sort of VR, it may have been an Oculus, but they're talking about um, you know, using it in the classroom. It was kind of aimed at K-12. And the guy, I mean, he may have just been a shitty sales rep, but he's like, he's like, imagine you're sitting in Spanish class with this on. And I'm just like, well, why am I sitting in Spanish class? Like, why am I not in a market in Spain, like shopping? And actually in a scenario that I can't be when I'm a seventh grade student in, you know, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but that the technology gives me the ability. Like, why are you thinking about technology the same way that you're thinking about life and the limitations that we're living in like that's this is the whole point of having the technology and he kind of like i don't know maybe i embarrassed him but he didn't get it he's not obviously who developed it but i point that out because i mean it's just technology doing what we already do unless you have the thought process to think outside of that box
1: yeah i think that that's um that's a really important point uh, um yeah I, I totally agree with that and I see that all the time. Um, There's other types of people in in years past have been like, why aren't you doing augmented reality? And and there's a place for that, actually. Uh, There's really, really important places for more, uh, I would say, screen-based augmented reality. Because now, and you probably didn't see this, but the newest Oculus Quest 2s, they're moving towards, because they have this pass-through, these outward-facing cameras, it's a fully sliding scale between um, fully immersive VR versus augmented reality. People like to have this like floating model and it's like, that's not really helpful in a lot of cases. Uh, There's certain points where like, if you're like, we teach uh, the medical students with, you know, anatomical models and you can stand around and be viewing the same thing and point to stuff. You can kind of do that with like on a screen too. Um That's where a lot of people miss the point with VR and AR type technology. Um, they, they think about it as immersive. And yeah, it is that. But the real new newer things that, that are making it valuable and also fun to use, it's not the immersion. It's the it, the immersion is like an essential component. But the the real jump forward has been the ability to, you know, the, the human interaction and it goes both ways. Like I was saying, like that that input, the reason why I got into VR uh, originally was because it makes 3D, 3D modeling much faster. And that goes back to, you know, also this thing with Pittsburgh and stuff like that, because I realized I needed to learn how to do 3D modeling, um, things like, you know, Maya, and I, I use mostly the open source one blender. And, and it's, it's tough. Even if you, it's, it's got a big learning curve and then, you, and then you, and then you, once you learn how to use it, it takes hours to do something. Something that takes hours in certain cases in VR, just by the interaction, being able to see things in 3D, you can make sculptures, 3D models, like 10 times faster in certain cases. And I'm not like a, a great 3D model. It's not my profession, but is a, you know, the average person that's kind of doing some 3D modeling Certain types, like not hard surface modeling, but like like organic models and stuff like that, you can do them much faster in VR, and that's that interaction, that that human interaction thing, and you do have to think outside of the box for things like that. So, you have to think about the right application. So, um, one thing with like Zoom is, and I've been teaching a lot over Zoom, um, and we went to fully Zoom based teaching for the first part of the pandemic, and there's good things with that and there's bad things. And one of the things that's not so good is the when you're sitting around a room, for example, and you wanna look over and you can see that somebody's starting to talk. Um, we don't have that in VR, but it's, it's coming. It's gonna be in the next couple of years. You're gonna be able to see when somebody's talking, you're gonna have like a representation of their face. But you also have that ability to look around the room and say, you're not paying attention or you're like getting ready to talk to that person. I want to hear what you're saying so i'm going to direct my attention to that person right. so vr has that ability and it's going to increase as we start to bring in like facial uh recognition and stuff like that so yeah, no, you, there's so many still, different applications i could i could talk about it it's it's uh i th- and i think that you can talk about this stuff a lot because there's so many different ways that i haven't thought of that we could we could probably use it so
0: well i'm i mean as, as cool as technology is to connect you and i here i mean there's a, frust- there's a frustration for me sometimes where because there's even a small lag time in connectivity, it's harder to interject mid thought, right? So it's like when you're talking or I'm talking, it's harder for either of us to stop somebody and say, hey, yeah, but what about this without it really talking over? And uh, I'm like, man, I just, I wanna get to a point where I do this in person. You're, A couple of years ago now, when I first started podcasting, it was just my brother and I, and we were doing it on location out in LA. And it was all geared towards the cannabis industry. We were called the Bud Brothers. And so like we would talk to CEOs or different growers, you know, folks from the industry, but it was all in person. And then when the pandemic happened, this was like, well, shit, I can get back to podcasting and this will actually be the avenue to make it happen at a time where you can't be in front of people. It's like the perfect time to get back into this. I've, I, by all means, I love this platform and zoom has been great. I'm not at a point where I can efficiently produce the number of podcasts by, I can't fly people here to Pittsburgh every week, you know, multiple times a week and I don't have the ability to fly all over the country, but if you're sitting here talking about this. I'm like, man, would it be cool to have a virtual podcast studio, where I could take what I'm doing via zoom and make it a little bit more immersive, make it a little bit more personal, where it's just not two blocks of screens where my face and your face are kind of side by side. Right.
1: So, yeah. And I think that uh, it would increase, it would, it would change the conversation that that we have, as you say. Um, I think it would also it would, it would, it would lend to new things. I don't think we're there yet with VR technology. We're close. Uh, um, We have these, there's a, there's a number of different platforms where you can have group VR meetings. And for some of that, I think it would be good for the like teaching and education Um, for, you know this type of, uh, you know, a conversation setting. We, we need to get to the point where we have a, like a blended scale and so they're getting there they're close because like they're starting to do really interesting things with facial recognition where it sees how your 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 mouth's moving and and it can create your make your avatar look exactly like you uh there's really cool things and some of it's going on in pittsburgh actually um there's a lot of really really exciting research going on in pittsburgh in that area um, but uh the only thing that they that they're doing right now is with the quest for example um you're able to like see your desk in real your real desk in front of you and then have like giant screens up, up in front of you or you can have the your 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 friend's desk from somewhere else beamed in for example stuff like that that's on its way and there's going to be a number of different ways that that uh, you know benefits the t- and changes the way we we have conversations and interactions, but um, yeah, it's a it's an exciting. I mean, we we got an EEG uh, headset for to be able to combine and see what people are, how their brain activity is changing, under different situations. And you know, you were saying, I was saying, well, I, you know, it's not really reading your brain. You can tell when somebody's um, doing an easy math problem or a hard math problem. I've done it myself, and you can the a difference. You, you can tell the difference if you have this EG headset on. Uh, it, the 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 brainwave activity changes whether you're doing it no problem an easy problem a hard problem whether you're unable to figure it out you can tell all those things and it's it's um, in our case we're using a different it's not deep neural network but it's a different machine learning uh it's kind of a, a algorithm program to to be able to tell the different ways and you you train it you say okay i'm doing a hard problem now i'm doing an easy problem now and then you do a harder, easy problem and it can tell you whether one you, which one you're doing so you and just so- answered a
0: question then because i was going to say what about with honesty but you need the baseline to say i'm doing a hard question would you be able to create that same type of baseline to say, okay, I'm being honest. Okay. I'm not being honest. Like the same way you would on just taking a lie detector where they say, Hey, your name is Randy Stout, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know?
1: Yeah. And, and, uh, I, I think you can, there there's ways to, um, you can devise ways to, to force people to um, be honest and, and not be honest and then trick them or force them to uh, just like a lie detector test, like they create the baseline and stuff like that. Um, it's, it's just an extension of that, and you can figure out methods to, to do that. Uh, there's ways you could trick it. And, and the, uh, if, if somebody tried to test whether I was lying or not, I could mess up the data so bad right now, at least with the, the different types of brain wave recording technology just by like clenching your, your jaw and stuff like that, uh, you can you can mess up the data stream that they're getting. So, you know, you could make it so that there was an invalid reading uh, and they wouldn't be able to tell whether you're telling the truth or lying. And um, there's different things you could do, but um, it is a, it's an exciting area to be able to see, like there's also the possibility of being able to detect when somebody's getting better or worse for like a neurological disorder, like um, Parkinson's, or like you can see how brain activity changes uh, in obsessive compulsive disorder. Well, think about this. Let's say you want to be able to detect whether a medication's working, for example, um, uh, for you know, addicted and addiction. You know, going back, one of the best new treatments for. Um, uh, you know, things like, uh, depression and in some, some types, some types of depression and alcohol dependency and stuff like that is, uh, psilocybin. Uh, but let's say you want to see whether it's working or, or not for, for the person you can, um, use the combination of brain recording and VR to get an objective measure of whether it's working because you can present them with, uh, an immersive environment that they would be in that might trigger the unwanted behavior, for example, or the PTSD. And then look at the brainwave activity and automatically shut it off if it's getting too far. You could automatically see the, the time course of brain changes with you know extremely high resolution which is much different than asking somebody later or even monitoring their heart rate for example yeah. um it, you know it, it gives you much more insight into uh how the brain is working in these different disorders and stuff like that so yeah um yeah this has been this has been quite a uh, wide range i wouldn't even say wide range it's it, I, hopefully it's not too one-sided i I no, know gosh, I, no. I'm so excited about this stuff. I just can't stop talking
0: about it. No, I, I, man, this has been fantastic. You've, I had a list I got on the side of my screen here that I've kind of been compiling. There's one thing that I, I wanted to ask you, and it's, uh, it's probably a really stupid question, but here, here I go with my woo woo stuff, right? So I, I would imagine maybe we talked about this, but we, we all have these moments where it's like you think about somebody. And then all of a sudden your phone rings. I've had too many of them to classify it as coincidence, right? But I'm like, yeah. I can't believe for a second that we can telepathically pass thought. But it's like the longer I'm married and have kids, it's like I feel like my wife and I do it on a weekly basis. Is that just my brain playing tricks on me because I'm drawing inferences or? Is there something, and maybe we don't understand it completely, that would explain being able to telepathically pass thoughts?
1: Um, you're, you're really uh, pushing me <laughs> into a place where I can get myself in trouble here. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, this is a dangerous, dangerous conver- conversation for me uh, scientifically and for my uh, reputation because um, I also experience those things uh, that, that you've described, those feelings that this is, uh, for example, um, this is so out of the realm of even explainable by coincidence. We were driving, not anything. There was no cause to talk about. We were in Pennsylvania or New York or somewhere like that, you know, Connecticut, uh, driving with my wife. And all of a sudden I just said, uh, Minnesota, and, I don't even know why I said it and it was my my wife was just you know on her phone beside me like looking at something from about Minnesota but there's no way I could have seen it you know what I mean and things like that I mean that's what you're talking about right 100% yeah and and uh I don't know that we have to explain it by like the normal uh types of uh, ways that people think about that, like ESPA and stuff like that. Right. Um, I'm not saying 100% that that's not possible because I like to never say anything's possible. But it's hard. There's there's no physical uh, basis by which that could occur. You know what I mean? Right. Um uh, You know, your brain isn't making electromagnetic fields that are um, in any way detectable or influencing the person even if they're sitting next to you um it's just not really possible um by based on my and i think everyone's understanding of physics but it seems like it happens right i mean this is one of those things and there's other potential explanations and i would you know just as a different way of potentially figuring this out and i certainly can't explain that and it may very well be the the law of just so many times you do silly things or you just say things for no reason mm-hmm. and for my, in my example that it's just that one time out of a, a million things you say to your spouse or whatever that one is just happens to be like that that's a possibility it might just be total coincidence that we're we're, we're finding patterns our brain is finding patterns that that, that we we're, were designed to do that so that we can understand the world around us in, in more um, effective ways by finding patterns, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so we, we've, our brain is, you know, the most powerful computing device that we know of right now uh, by far. Um, so maybe we're just finding inferences that aren't real or another possibility is that we're kind of like, by living the same, sh- we have two of the most powerful, you know, I I you know people would say com- com- computational devices, and I would like to make a comment about that. But two of the most powerful computational devices and most complex things in the universe, organized things in the universe anyway, um, sitting next to each other, getting similar streams of data. There may be unconscious cues that are driving that. Um, and there may be reasons, even if you're far apart and you're not together, like there's a certain number amount of time from when something happened that it just so happens to come back into your, your kind of subconscious and bubbles up into your memory, for example.
0: Like when you're thinking of somebody and all of a sudden your phone rings and you're like, I haven't thought about this person in a year. And the moment that I did,
1: my phone and the, rings, and and it's- you know, I'm struggling and I'm not saying that this is a reason, but like. One of the ways that that could happen, for example, is you're thinking about that person because it's been so long. Partly, um, you think about a lot of people and they don't call you, yeah. And then the person that you're thinking about, maybe um, you're thinking about them for not entirely reasons. Like you saw a program that that they liked, and they were like there. Like there's been, there's lots of experiments where even if it's too fast to see it, you can't say what you saw. And then they ask you to, to name a, a color, you'll be more likely to name red. That's just a like a blunt kind of probably yeah. mangled example um, because it's in your subconscious. So maybe uh, there was a, a news story about something that you talked about five years ago as, as friends. And it's that time of year when that, that, you know, programs on TV or something like that, maybe even yesterday and then, you're, you're both happening to think about each other or something like that that would be a an explanation for this that is within the realm of physics as we know it because like i said there's not a conceivable way in which uh, you know any kind of electromagnetic effect or any other kind of signal would be transmitted across that time that space and time mm. that said we can start to talk about things like our our brain isn't really a computer. I don't think our brain is, it should, should be generally thought of as a computer. I think the the important parts of the human brain, the, actually the brain especially, and the cortex especially, and what we think of as what we're doing. We're talking, we're, we're, we're using our brain to think and figure things out. Um, that's all a reflection of us trying to, Imagine what the outside world is like. You know, we're not really seeing the, you know, and and hearing sound directly. Our brain is figuring out what that, what those signals, and they're really memories uh, because they're they happened, you know, milliseconds ago. Um, uh, we're, our brain is taking those memories and trying to simulate the outside environment so that it can um you know decide where it is and what's would happening
0: be, would that be similar to like um i heard something a while ago where like if you snap your fingers it looks like the sound is happening the same time you're snapping your fingers but it's not you're actually processing the sight of you snapping your fingers quicker than you're processing the sound of you snapping your fingers but your brain does a quick little trick and aligns it because it knows that it's supposed to be happening simultaneously
1: and you can see that because they'll look simultaneous as you move a certain distance and then your brain decides to stop doing that uh that little fudging of the real uh temporal order of things uh of the arrival of the sound versus the arrival of the of the the light and at some point it stops doing that and that's when you see somebody really far away you know throw a a garbage can down or a lid or something like that or or shoot a gun and you see the flash or the smoke and then um then you hear it later but then at a certain point your brain starts doing that it starts you know bending the temporal order uh, of the truth and and it's because in all of those cases the sensory information is really a memory that your that your brain some people would say process the information to make inferences about what's happening another way to say that is you're taking stored information it's this stuff stored very briefly and you're you're integrating it with older information like that that's you know over there like the, that you have this space that you're you're thinking that you're in in the world and a distance for example that est- your brain is estimating and then your your you're, you're you could think about it as trying to uh, make inferences or you could think about it that your brain's creating a story and another way to say creating a story is you're building a simulation of what's happening around you and so i like to say that your brain is really the by far the most powerful simulation engine uh it's 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 not a computer, because a computer processes information, an input and an output, and it has a temporal order to that. It it, it does it in a stepwise fashion. Our brain uses a combination of, like, activity overlaid onto a a structural type of computing. It also combines digital and analog um, uh, transformation of information, and so... it it ends up um, being very different than computers. And so at some point we're gonna have to like move beyond that computer analogy. And it's interesting because so many of the really higher level neuroscientists and and researchers that are in the field now, they come from like physics backgrounds and, and computer science backgrounds. And that's great except they're constantly trying to refer back to the the computer science principles and think about our brain as a computer. And I think there's some limits to that and we're bumping up against some of those limits right now. So instead of an information processing or computing information, I encourage people to think about the brain as a simulation engine, to be able to predict what's gonna happen next in the world.
0: A great way to leave it
1: okay yeah It's this has been a long one hasn't it i i, I didn't even notice what time when i can't, i know i, can't I just I looked up I was like half hour hour. that was
0: that was awesome that's a perfect place to stop i think yeah. uh you know my hope is that uh this is the end of chapter two and you know we'll hopefully it's not a full year and it, i think this year it went so quick that's why it ended up being a year but <clears throat> i uh i look forward to round number three man and you know, uh, I'm sure I'll go back and have a whole bunch of questions for you, but I'm really excited to see, you know, what you and, and your colleagues and I, I didn't even bring this up. I don't know if you're even able to talk about it, but I think I was listening to a podcast on Rogan, David
1: Sinclair episode. Yeah, and, uh, I actually listened to that one as well. Warren, Warren told me to listen to it. And yeah, I had, weren't you involved I did. in like yeah. a
0: study that was referenced on there or something too with like a mouse? eye study or something like that oh yeah
1: well we're doing uh i'm collaborating with similar stuff I'm, I'm kind of uh you know creating some of the genetic tools for that um and similar approaches were you know uh protecting the preventing uh, degeneration of the eye and also um restoring function to to the to the retina in some cases this is a really uh, small interaction that i've I'm building like genetic tools for that uh, type wow. of work, awesome. and, and 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 really just you know coming up with genetic tools, and then there's people that are really running with it, and that's not my area of research, but it's it's, it's exciting. There's also um, I've done I've been involved in a collaborative form, actually similar genetic tools. Actually, it's interesting enough um, with another one that was it was published very recently after we we talked actually um, and looking into how, um, stress, uh, affects, um, memory formation and how really, um, beginning along with a lot of other people's research, of course, um, it's a really a vast effort, but understanding how stress compromises our ability to, to learn, um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're doing other things that, touch on I, I thought you might have been asking about another thing with in a in that David Sinclair's Claire's uh, podcast talked about um, which is really exciting seeing how the brain changes uh, under conditions like uh, exercise and and how um, you know it, it can change how the neurons function and make them uh, more resistant to neurodegeneration and stuff like that um, we're looking at and kind of a different level than, than, than what he is, or really trying to understand the mechanisms by which the brain remains healthy under stressful conditions, um, and how exercise could potentially be a way to make your brain continue to function well into, into old age, um, and how to prevent some of these uh, long-term damage. We we should have a, a third uh, session because I'm uh, I'm sure I, I I could talk for a long time and, and I think it would be very interesting to talk about some of the stuff and also kind of somewhat related. Uh, I think Warren and I might maybe even should do one at some point. I don't know if you ever have multiple guests on I've, because I've
0: done it one other time and it went well and uh, yeah I that would. That would make my day if we could set something I mean, like look, look up.
1: out for some of the i'm even working with warren and and uh on you know I, I mentioned some of this training stuff and the exercise therapy with vr you know he has uh this really really unique and interesting uh approach to running his his you know his gyms um and he's one of these people as i was saying earlier that he's always exploring new areas and bringing people with him and we're connecting over that, that type of, uh, research. And, and, and he's, um, I think there's going to be some exciting things coming out of that in, 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 uh, in about, you know, six months or so, um, we'll have, we'll have uh, a lot of cool things to talk about on the stuff we're working together.
0: It'd be perfect timing.
1: So, yeah, this has been, this has been fun. I, I could talk all night, but I know, uh, um, I, I, uh, I know we, we got we to gotta make it reasonable. Nobody's going to be able to make it through. <laughs> It'll have to be uh, five five uh, mowing sessions. You're going to have to have a pretty big lawn to be able to, to get out them. and
0: get all that yard work done. And, and by <laughs> the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. I don't think there's a bigger Rumble Time coffee drinker on the planet, <laughs> including Anthony Rumble Johnson, than you. So thank you for the, the support always. Uh, you know, hopefully you're not choking down coffee you dislike. I'm assuming you enjoy it, but... It doesn't no, get. I can uh, drink
1: now. I, it doesn't I, get
0: past us, man. It's I. It gets brought up on a monthly basis. My partners are like, man, this guy must like you because he he continues to buy stuff. And I said, I think he just likes the way you roast the coffee. I, you know, but thank you no, for I, that. It's uh, I, I can't
1: I can't drink regular coffee. And there's like, you know, the the, lo- the local coffee shop that everybody raves about. It's okay. I mean, it's drinkable. But I, 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 I you know, I prefer to drink. You know. I like Goldie, uh, and it's, uh, it's, I, I can't drink of coffee anymore. And, uh, <laughs> I, my, my, uh, L- Logan, my younger brother, um, got me some, you know, just to try some new coffee. I'm going to try it. Um, I'll see how it measured up, but I, you know, I, I give it out to other people sometimes too, because, um, I want them to, uh, have good coffee to drink as well. Uh, it's, uh, and I, and I, I drink it in the morning. I mean, scientists drink a lot of coffee by the way, and, uh, um, I drink it a lot in the morning and it's, it's something that gets me going and and gets me, it's a reason (laughs) they want the old tagline stuff. I'm not going to say, but it gets, it gives me something to like, you know, Go downstairs and, and get going in the morning, and yeah. and that's why I I have it there because I got to brew it myself because it's it's fresh and it tastes so much better than going out to a coffee shop and spending you know four dollars on a on a cup of coffee. It's it's awesome. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna keep subscribing. I hope I hope you're uh, you don't don't stop roasting it the same way or anything. We're gonna like
0: keep that. keep it going the same way. We've got a couple of new things that are in the works as well. Oh really? Keep in the loop. Yeah, we'll get you. I, um, I'll get you another, like this month's, um, batch, I'll have them send out a special box for you with some other stuff in it. That'd be
1: cool. I'm always interested to try it. I mean, it's it's already my, by far my favorite coffee. We're working on a
0: a mushroom blend right now. So it's going to have six different types of mushrooms inside of it. You can't really, you don't taste that aspect of it, but it's like turkey tail, lion's mane, cordyceps. So trying to, we're working on the final formulation right now, but Leaning it may actually do two different ones one that's more immunity blend and one that's more um, kind of geared around like oxygen transport with cordyceps and things like that. But I'm leaving that up to the, the guys that do the development. And once they're ready, I'll, I'll taste it out, but I'll make sure I get you a sample in there. Too. That's
1: cool. I'm looking forward to that. That's exciting. I, uh, yeah, I'm uh, especially because trying those new things. I, I like coffee, I have a tendency to like um, uh, milk with my coffee but I'm trying to just drink it straight. And, and like the, the, the smooth and, and um, you know, drinkability of that, of the gold D I can drink that without any milk in it. And um, I'm trying to do that because I'm trying to do uh, some of the things that David Sinclair Claire talked about and on there too. There's, there's uh, going back a long time. I've I've seen a lot of really compelling talks about uh, you know, intermittent fasting Um there's there's still a lot of research that needs to be done on that but and that's another topic i guess we don't want to get off on another topic but uh yeah i'm trying to drink my coffee without anything added to it um and that the mushroom coffee with with the added mushroom that'll be that'll be interesting because it might add add some additional like hardiness to it without adding the, as, as much calories and stuff like that i'm sure there'll be some yep. protein too which be good but...
0: we'll get you some for sure sounds good all right appreciate it randy a well ton. thank you nice have a good definitely. night um this is awesome